on the seasons of life, and the title of this morning's message is, I Don't Know Moments. And as we begin, I, I want to tell you, a lot of my messages come from experiences, and so i got to tell you a story in order to get into this. And the story is about a man named Jed. He was a poor mountaineer. Could barely keep his family fed. You think you know the story, don't you? But you don't know that one day he was out shooting at some food, and up from the ground came bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Zoe, you're too young. You don't even know this, do you? Girl, Google it. Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed is a millionaire. And as Ken folks said, Jed, move away from here. They said Carolina is the place you ought to be, so he loaded up his truck and they all came to RLC. But that's actually not the story. I just like it. This story actually is true. There was a time when we, my wife and I were missionaries that I had the opportunity to go to a remote village in eastern Hungary to uh, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, I jumped at the chance and so I had to get on a train in Krakow, Poland, and uh, it went all the way over to Bratislava and then shot across. So I had to drive, go all the way across Hungary, east to west, or west to east, I should say. And um, I don't speak a lick of Hungarian. And, and if any of you want to look up Hungarian, it's neither Germanic nor Slavic. It's like its own little sicko disease. It, it, it's all, what is it, all consonants, right? No vowels. So you look at like a 13-letter word, and it's got not a vowel in it. Try to pronounce that. And so I'm bouncing across Hungary and looking at my ticket every time we come to a stop to see if I'm at the place. And I usually only have time to look for the first five letters to see if they fit. And if they fit, I'll look at the rest. If they don't fit, I just go back to sleep. And uh, just trying to get my way to where I was going. And it's about a 12-hour train ride. So we're getting, I'm thinking we're getting pretty close, and the train comes to a stop. <clears throat> few people get off. I can tell I'm in a small little remote Eastern European village and uh, train never takes back off. And pretty soon there's a knock on the door of my booth and two armed, two armed soldiers. They could have been cops. They look like soldiers to me. They had automatic weapons and um, they start talking to me in Hungarian. And I told you how much Hungarian I have. And uh, so when we could see we couldn't communicate, they just said passport. Okay, passport. So I give him my passport. Ticket! I give him my ticket. The guy with my passport and ticket takes off. And see, I've traveled enough of the world to know I need that. <laughs> and when they walk off with it, I tend to follow them because without that, I ain't going anywhere. And so then the other guy grabs my luggage and he follows the first guy, so I'm following the two of them. And they take my passport, my ticket, and my luggage, and they... They walk off to the center of the train station, set my stuff down, and I'm sure what they said in Hungarian was, stay. And so they gave me my stuff. They gave me that look to let me know I stay. They got back on the train, and the train left. Well, from the train platform, I can see the entirety of the village, which lets me know there ain't no Motel 6 here. There ain't no restaurants. I'm probably not going to find anyone that speaks English because this is a really tiny place out in the middle of nowhere. And so I'm thinking, okay, another train's going to come. So I sit down on top of my luggage, and, and I wait, and I wait. Sun starts to set. 
stars start to come out, and there ain't no train coming. And I have this thought, I don't know what to do. I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and I'm not where I used to be. And the Lord downloaded this entire teaching, I mean, just instantaneously with these words. Every great move of God has been born on the other side of an I don't know moment. Remember I told you last week that it's what you do when you don't know what to do that determines what you get to do? In the in-between time when you're no longer where you want to be, but you're no longer where you used to be, this is where most people lose it. It's where they grow weary and it's where they go back instead of going forward. So today I want to spend a little bit more time and I want to encourage those of you who are in an I don't know moment how to make it through to the other side. And those of you who are not in an I don't know moment, hold on because you will be shortly. Right? Because in our life we go through a variety of seasons. And life is always changing. And one of the reasons why life is always changing is God will never afford you a life that does not require faith. Just when you think you got it all figured out, it'll change. Because God wants us to always walk by and live by faith. Amen? So I wrote this down. Too many of us make a mistake in this in-between time, when you're in the in-between time, listen when I say this, when you're in the in-between time, nothing feels right. Because you're no longer where you used to be, but you're not where you want to be, and it just doesn't feel right. And too many of us make mistakes due to moving on a feeling. You hear this all the time in Christendom. I felt like God said. Not God did say, I felt like God said, or it just didn't feel right. The scripture never instructs us to make decisions based on feelings. Y'all listening to me? The scripture never instructs us to make decisions based on feelings, but to be directed by the voice. John chapter 10 verse 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. Everyone say voice. And I know them and they follow me. Go back just a few verses in John chapter 10 verse 4 says this. When he puts forth his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Once again, I got to say too many times we make decisions based on feelings. And the Bible tells us to make decisions, especially changing of directions or location or occupation based on a voice. But not just any voice, because the voice of a stranger, we don't follow. Is this making sense? Now, feelings serve a purpose, but it's not to make a decision on. Feelings serve the purpose of making you attentive. Y'all listening to me? When things don't feel right, that's not the time to make a decision. That's the time to pay attention. And you're paying attention because now you want to hear the voice. The voice that either says go left, go right, sit down in the middle of the train station or take a walk. But if we take. I don't want to jump ahead, but I got to tell you this and I'll get a train eventually showed up to get me. 
it didn't show up when I wanted it to, but a train eventually did. But what if hap- what would have happened if I would have been on the train station and said, you know, this don't feel right. So I picked up my luggage and I went and wandered around the village and the train came. Could I have blamed God for leaving me stranded and hungry? Oh, I most certainly would have. But should I? No. And yet many times Christians, we make decisions based upon feelings. We find ourselves in the wilderness and we think somehow it's God's fault. We got to discern a feeling means I pay attention. Because it could be something is wrong. It could be something with you is wrong. But we pay attention when it doesn't feel right. But we're listening for the voice. And until we hear the voice, our, 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 our decision is, Lord, I am not making a move until you tell me what to do. And God will. God will speak to us. Mm. When you are in that in-between time, It is a lonely place to be, and you need not be stuck on a train station in the middle of hungry to feel alone and disconnected. I think sometimes you can be in a church and feel disconnected. You can be in your living room and feel disconnected. You can be sitting right next to your best friend and feel disconnected. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. I'm not going to read. I read all of this last week. I'm just going to read the first part. To everything everything there is a season as we journey through life there are seasons and I shared this with you last week a season is not three months on a calendar a season is time dedicated to an activity you know what season of life you're in by what activity sometimes we're in a sowing season sometimes we're in a harvesting season sometimes we're in a laughing season sometimes we're in a mourning season But that season comes and that season goes. The dangerous time is in the in-between. I experienced this just the other day, maybe Thursday. Got up and it was a little bit chilly in the morning. So I grabbed a coat. By afternoon, I was regretting wearing the coat. Right, because we're in between right now. It's no longer summer. It's not quite winter. So you might get up in the morning and dress one way and by the end of the day not be in that season anymore. And this is when most people get sick. You following me? And this is where most people get sick spiritually. Their their heart goes discontent or gets broke because they thought this was going to happen like this and it doesn't. Hmm. I got to quit following my notes. These are messing with me. Go to Genesis. As I was sitting there on that train station, thinking about the I don't know moments, and the Lord said every great move of God is always born on the other side of an I don't know movement. Over the years, this is what it's made sense to me. Brother Hagen said most people will live and die and never enter into the first stage of their ministry. And make no mistake about it, every one of us have a ministry. It doesn't mean we'll stand in a pulpit. The most effective ministries on the planet are not pulpit ministries. The most effective ministries on the planet are children and marketplace. When you're out where people are. So every one of us have a ministry. You may never be called apostle or prophet, but that ain't no big deal anyhow. 
And yet the truth is most people will live and die and never enter into the first stage of the ministry. And the question is why? And the, the, the answer is this, because in the in-between time of disconnecting from what they were to what God is calling them to be, they get lost. Because they move on a feeling instead of a voice. And then they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you realize that the wilderness wandering should have only taken nine days? And it became 40 years, not by God's ordination, but by man's determination that I'm going to do it my way. And if things don't feel right, I'm going to make a change. Even if what the Lord is trying to tell you is I want you to learn patience. And let patience have its perfect work in you so that if you let patience have its perfect work in you, you'll be complete and mature and lacking in nothing. Amen. Hmm. Go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Abraham had an I don't know moment. God told him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, reading it to you out of the message, leave your country your family, your father's home for a land that I will show you. Now, let me ask you this. I'm going to just camp on this. Do you think that Abraham discerned this by a feeling or a voice? A what? A voice. He heard a voice tell him, leave your country. He didn't leave his country on a feeling. He left his country on a voice. Your family and your father's home for a land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, Abraham had to disconnect himself from what I call the influence of the familiar. He had to disconnect himself from the furthest regions of his emotions to the closest. The first was his country. The widest range of who he was, his identification, all the way down to his family, his relatives, and then even to his father's house. He had to disconnect himself from those three things. He had to leave where he was in order to become who God was calling him to be. But Hebrews tells us that he went out not knowing where he was going. So I want you to use your imagination and imagine here's Abram and he's, he's loading up the caravan and he's getting ready to go. And his neighbor comes to him and says, hey, where are you going, Abram? What's the answer? Hebrews told us he went not knowing where he was going. So the answer to the question would be. Well, that's that begs a follow up question. How are you going to know when you get there? The answer to every question. See, listen, as faith people, sometimes we think walking by faith means we understand everything and have all the answers. And the truth of the matter is, this is the reason why the Bible says be strong and courageous. Is because of sometimes, most of the time, actually, if we're walking by faith, we ain't got a clue. Why are you doing that? I don't know. How long are you going to be doing that? I don't know. But the, every great move of God is born on the other side of an I don't know moment. But an I don't know moment requires utmost trust in the one who called you and placed you and anointed you and whose voice you heard that puts you where you are. I've had people ask me, how long are you going to stay the pastor of Real Life Church? There's only two things that will ever make me stop being a pastor of Real Life Church. His voice. 
or death. Because if I was going to leave simply because things looked hard, I would have left a long time ago. Yes, sir. You're following me. See, we got to have that stick to itiveness that says, I ain't going nowhere till God tells me something. Amen. Well, but it doesn't feel right. Why doesn't it look right? How come it doesn't appear to be working? I don't know. Abram, how long are you going to be gone? But Abram survived his I don't know moment and he gave birth to the nation of Israel. You follow me every the, see the greatness of your life is found on the other side of your own. I don't know moment when you come to that place that you're going to have to make a decision to either push through or retreat. Let me show you something. Is this OK this morning? Go with me to the book of Hebrews. I want you to see Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. The in-between time, the, that, that moment when you're no longer this and you're not yet that, that's the proving ground. That's where people grow weary in well-doing is when they've not yet harvested. Nobody grows weary in harvest time. Harvest time is celebration time, but it's when you've planted, you've done the will of God, and now nothing seems to be happening, that's where you have need of patience. That's the in-between time. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, now I want to stop right there. There's a contrast here. There's living by faith and there's shrinking back. They're being contrasted. Why? Because they're not the same. The implication is this. If we're living by faith, we are always forward moving even when we're sitting still. Because even when we're sitting still waiting for that voice, we're living in a state of expectation that God didn't bring me to this train station to die. Amen. God called me to go to that little remote village. So I don't know why I'm stuck here, but I know that here cannot be my ultimate destination. Amen. I wish somebody was listening. How am I going to get where I'm going? I ain't got a clue. When's the train going to show up? I don't know. How are you going to find food? I don't. No, all I know is I was on my way to a God ordained destination and now I'm here. So there's living by faith that is always forward focused. Paul said it this way, forgetting those things that are behind. I do what? I press on. I'm not lodged on the past because I'm living by faith. And if I'm living by faith, I'm forward focused because the one who is my model, he had joy and hope set before him. That's why he endured. So if I'm walking by faith, I'm not focused on what used to be. I'm focused on what's going to be. And that's what masters my conversation is what dominates my words. When you talk to me, I'm never blue about what used to be. I'm excited about what's coming down the pike. But if I'm living by faith, I'm always even when I'm sitting still, I'm in a state of expectation. But if I'm shrinking back, what's the opposite of faith? Fear. What does fear do? Fear causes you to run away and hide. It causes you to shrink back. Why? Because you're afraid of what might happen if you step out. 
So there's faith, and that's forward thinking. There's fear, and that causes you to shut down and shrink back. Yes. Yes. You remember the garden when Adam and Eve heard the Lord coming through the garden? What did Adam do? He went and hid himself. Why? Because he was ashamed and afraid of his present state. Yes. So let's keep reading what the writer of Hebrews said. We're not, we, we're not of those who shrink back. He says, if he shrinks back, my soul has no what? Hold that thought because I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But we are not of those who shrink back. What is it they shrink back to? Now, if you look up the word destruction... It means this. Listen to this. These are the three primary definitions of the word. Utter destruction. Loss of money. Even eternal misery. That's where fear will place you. But understand that the loss, the destruction, and misery is not of God's ordination. God did not save any of us to ordain us to misery. But we are not of those who shrink back, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now look at Hebrews chapter 35, still talking about I don't know moments. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has... Or pleasure, the same word, he, if we shrink back, he has no pleasure. I always have to pull this out. Because even if we shrink back, it doesn't mean God ceases to love us. His affection is still ours, but we rob God of his pleasure. How do we rob God of his pleasure? Because God takes pleasure in the prosperity, the wholeness, the soundness of his servants. It's when there's nothing, shalom, y'all, when shalom is in our life, when there's nothing broken, nothing missing, my heart is right, my mind is right, my body's whole, I got more than enough money in the bank account to do whatever I need to do. When there's nothing broken, God takes pleasure in that. God does not take pleasure, hear me when I say this, God does not take pleasure in brokenness. No, he does not. Religious people will tell you God will break you. As if he takes pleasure in it. If God removes something from your life, which most people call getting broke, it's because he wants to replace it with something that's less toxic and healthier. God, God's in the replacement business. He replaces ashes. Are y'all listening to me? So God says, he, let, them say, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the wholeness of his servant. Go back to Hebrews. If we shrink back from this journey of faith, we shrink back to our own destruction, and God has no pleasure in that. But God didn't do it. We did it. When do we do this most often? In that I don't know moment. When nothing feels right, nothing seems right, so we go back to what used to be. Whether it's the way of thinking, or the way of worshiping, or even the people we hang with. Mm. Go to Acts chapter 1. I want to take you to another I don't know moment. And I promise to let you out as soon as I'm finished. I say that every week and it never gets old. I like it. 
There's another I don't know moment here. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 1 verse 4. But must wait for the Father's promise or for, the, for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. The word wait here means to remain in place in expectation of. You're sitting still, but you're in a place of expectation. Now, I want you to imagine some of the questions that they could have asked themselves in the upper room. How long are we going to sit here? Because he, they weren't given a time. They were just told to wait. And do you know what the one thing is we don't like doing? I wrote a book on patience because I ain't got none. It's a spiritual discipline in my life. If my wife tells me she wants a wall removed, I grab a hammer before I even know what's inside that wall. And she says, uh-huh, because I've done it. Only to look in the wall and go, oh, man, there's a lot of wires in that wall. Anyone know a good drywaller? Exactly what are we waiting for? It was the promise of the Father, but what was it? I don't know. How are we going to know when the promise has come? I don't know. What are we supposed to do once the promise gets here? I don't know. What do you suppose it means to be baptized with fire? That's a legitimate question, y'all. <laughs> because each of them would have known as fishermen what it means to be baptized. It means when your ship goes down, it got baptized. It was submerged in the water. He, the Lord talked about a baptism of fire. This is a legitimate question. What do you suppose it means to be baptized in fire? What's the answer? What's that sound? See, we read the story and it's like, oh, right, my, right, rushing mighty wind. But what do you think they felt when they were in the upper room? What is that? I don't know. What's that above your head? I don't know. But on the other end of this I don't know moment, the church was birthed. On the other side of your I don't know moment is the greatness God birthed you for. The question is, will you have the courage to sustain yourself in the place where it doesn't feel comfortable anymore? And wait for the promise of the Father to come and birth the greatness in you. Like the, the disciples, like Abraham before them, had to disconnect from what they knew and understood. This is never easy, never comfortable, and never convenient, but always necessary. To receive the promise, listen to this, they would need to resist the temptation to return to their old lives, the habits they were comfortable with, the jobs which provided security and identity. Remember Peter, during his I don't know moment, this is what he said, I'm going fishing. Y'all remember that? That's what he said. I, this, I don't understand what we thought he was going to be the one. Now he's dead. I'm going fishing. Why did he want to go fishing? Because he knew it. Remember what I told you last week when you're in the in-between? What used to be looks a whole lot like what ought to be. And I like what the other one said. The rest replied, we're going with you. Hmm. When the children of Israel were between Egypt and the promised land, they said, listen to this, we remember the fish. 
We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. And I love, they, freely. Yeah, a slave always gets their food for free. They get their housing for free too. It's what they give in exchange for it that they seem to have forgotten. Why? Because when you're in between, what used to be can look a whole lot like what ought to be. And the people who lack faith, we retreat. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Do you know what manna means? It means I don't know. This is what they're saying. The only thing we got in front of us is I don't know. What is this? I don't know. It ain't leeks. And it ain't onions and it ain't fish. Uh, yeah, I don't even. See, walking by faith is not for the weak of heart. It really isn't because faith will faith will make you put both legs over the, the, the bow of the boat. Faith will make you give more than people tell you makes sense. Faith will make you do more than logical people will ever engage. Faith will require you to be a radical. Yes. Yes. Help us, Lord. When the children of Israel were, were faced with their I don't know moment, they hungered for what they were used to. So in Numbers 14, verse 4, they said to, the, they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and returned to Egypt. They rallied behind a man named Korah. That was their idea. God's idea is I'm going to cause the earth to open up, and I'm going to show you all there ain't no going back. We may dream about the past, fantasize about the past, and even memorialize the past, but the one thing we can't do is go back to the past. Abram did not know how long it would take to reach the land that God would show him. The children of Israel did not know how long it would take to cross that desert land. The disciples did not know how long they were to wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus never gave an approximate time of when the promise would come. When the disciples asked, is this time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. But listen to this. We know that Abraham did reach the land of Canaan. And we know the children of Israel did cross the desert to live in the promised land. And we know also that the promise of the Father was fulfilled in that upper room. Yes, sir. And I can tell you that my train did come. The sun had fully set and the stars were in the sky. And I sat there atop of my luggage. Because I knew this one thing. I had nowhere to go. See, when God's called you, 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 have no, you have nowhere else to go but where he's told you to be. And as I was sitting there wondering, this is going to be a long night. I wonder how cold it gets and hungry. I could see a light off in the distance. Didn't know what it was yet, but I could see it, and it's too low to be a star. So I just fixated my eyes on that light and kind of let expectation grow in my heart. My heart. I hope that's a train. And it got bigger. And bigger. I couldn't hear anything yet, but it got bigger and bigger. And pretty soon a train pulled up to the station. I grabbed my luggage. I walked up to the conductor and I just showed him my ticket. And he escorted me to a booth. 
On the other end of the I don't know moment, I had one of the greatest revivals I as a minister had ever yet experienced. When I got to this place, God did miraculous things. I saw people get healed. God worked prophetically. He restored, he restored women's dead wombs. They later wrote me letters and said they got pregnant. On the other side of an I don't know moment, the question is, can we survive the I don't know moment? And the answer is absolutely, because now you know that the I don't know, the I don't know moment is not a dead end. It's just where you're sitting, learning patience while God is working out the eternal weight of glory in your life. How long are you going to be there? Nobody can answer that. But we do know this. If we don't grow weary in due season, we will reap. Amen. I don't know if I'm blessing you, but I sure am helping myself. Hmm. Yeah, I can't skip that. Go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. As you're turning to, the, the promises of the Father always manifest. Eventually. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season. I remember one time I was preaching this in Poland and someone stood up and they cried, What does my season do? Your seasons do when it comes. And this is wonderful because this, what this literally means is you have your own private due season. Your due season may not be when mine is. So you can't look at my season of harvest and become dejected because you're not in that season. Nor can I, the roles be reversed and me look at you getting everything you want. And every prayer you pray is suddenly answered. And I'm sitting over here going, what is this? You're eating filet mignon and I got stinking manna. But you're in filet mignon season. I'm in manna season. But I'm grateful for the manna because even when I don't know what's coming or how long it's going to take, I do know that as long as Jimmy Miller does not grow weary, does not throw in the towel, does not give up, does not say this is taking too long. If I'll just stay at the post God placed me, success will find me eventually because I have my own private due season. And so when I walk into the door celebrating because my season came due and you're in sowing season, let my due season encourage you just like last yes, month when I let your due season encourage me. Amen. We all have our own private due season. Yes, all we have to do is make sure we do not faint. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 13, and this is my last page of notes, so you'll be out of here in another hour. Ephesians 6, 13, I want to read it to you out of the Amplified. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands, stand firmly in your place. Changing of the seasons is not easy and often uncomfortable, but it is, also the prom it is also the promise of better things to come. And I like that part. As we come to a close, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
And see, and this is what is so trying of the I don't know moments. Because when you're in the I don't know moments, what you do know doesn't work. You knew what to do last season. You knew it was going to be cold, so you put on a winter jacket. But now you're in between, so you don't know what to do. And I've said this to you, and I'll keep saying it. God will never afford you a life that doesn't require faith. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on, on your own understanding. In all your ways. What this literally means is at all times, in every circumstance, every undertaking, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge means more than just to confess him. It means to be aware of his presence. He'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on thee. In all of your ways, understand God is with you. God is for you. God has never left you. He's there in this season just like he was in last season. If he was with you at the beach, he'll be with you at the mountains, and he'll be with you in the drive in between. So you don't have to lose heart. You don't have to grow weary. Just because you're in the I don't know moment of being in transition doesn't mean God forsook you. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In other words, hang in there. Good things are coming down the tracks. And the last verse I'll read today is Psalm 27, verse 14, out of the Passion Translation. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. We could just stop right there and say amen. Here's what I've learned through it all. And I know some of us, we've been through it, ain't we? But God went through it with us. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting for he will never disappoint you. And can anyone say amen? amen? Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and close our eyes and lift our hands. And I need our prayer team up front. <clears throat>